you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to hang out there uh, today, uh, starting with verse 14. Uh, while you're there and uh, picking that up, I want to just say a quick message to all of our house churches. Uh, we love you uh, so much. Everybody loves being in this room, right? We love being in this room, but we also understand and we know the power of what God is doing inside these homes. Uh, there are families meeting together by themselves, but there are house churches and small groups meeting all over our community and all over the country, and God is doing a crazy work. And I just wanted to take a second to celebrate that, tell you guys how much I love you for your faithfulness uh, and just obeying and open up your homes and letting God move uh, the way that he is. It's an amazing thing. Um, and so uh, before we get into the message, I want to go ahead and tell you, uh, I struggle a lot um, week to week because every time I feel like the Lord puts something on my heart, uh, I never have enough time to deliver everything that I have in a message, even in a series. Um, and so one of the things that we've done this year to remedy this um, is, especially for a message like today, and that'll make more sense in just a minute, is we've actually created a YouTube channel specifically just for creating uh, messages and talks and overflow where we can go deeper and we can finish messages up and we can just have a focus on pouring into you and investing in you throughout the week. Um, and it's just a YouTube page. They're going to put in the comments online um, and you can look it up. It's featured on our normal Pursuit Church YouTube page. It's just Jordan Green. It's just my name. Uh, we're boring. Couldn't come up with any titles. Uh, you know, things that are cool today aren't cool tomorrow. That's why you have, you know, podcasts and all kinds of stuff with names that were cool in the, you know, 1990s. And well, podcasts even around in 1990? Nope. We're still watching normal TV with commercials. Uh, but this is the thing. We believe, I believe in my life, I believe a calling on my life is to equip you guys uh, to do, the, as Ephesians says, to do the work of the ministry and to live your life, to, to study and to pour myself into God's word and then to pour myself out uh, in his messages and in his word and truth and to equip you guys to live the life God's called you to live. I feel like that's something, and I, and I love that. It's an honor of my life. And we want to just uh, take as much energy and resources as we can and do that as much as we can. And so this is a way that we're doing that, being able to go deeper throughout the week. If you, you know, want that, it's going to be there. So we just want to tell you about that today. Um, and, and the biggest reason we want to tell you about that today is because we're going to talk about something I think that is of epic importance. Um, I think that it is essential and vital. And I think that that although there is one main point, there's five things that the Lord has given me. And my goal was to make it through three, but in the first service, I only got through two. Um, and the Lord just got really heavy there in one of these points. And so we, we, we don't want to take away from this. So we're just going to go and just let God do his thing and just trust that he is in control. Amen. Amen. All right. So this is what, this is the thing we want to talk about today. And, and I, I want to talk about what I believe truly, I believe is the greatest tactic of the enemy, which is also, I believe, simultaneously one of the weakest attributes of human nature. I believe the greatest tactic of the enemy is distraction. And I believe one of the weakest attributes or characteristics of humanity is our, the ease at which we get distracted. We are, all of us, we are a ADD generation after generation after generation. We might be, my generation might be the youngest generation coming up. We're fighting for who is the most distracted generation alive right now. Uh, we are distracted daily, 
and constantly. And this is, in my opinion, and I believe scripture will prove it to you, and I think that when we walk through it today, I think you'll see the greatest tactic of the enemy is to distract us. The reason he has to lean so powerfully on distraction is because the enemy cannot defeat you because of the reality that Christ lives in you. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, I just need you to understand, uh, we have to be aware of the enemy, we have to be aware of, of life, we have to be aware of difficulties, but you cannot be defeated in this life or overpowered in this life by the enemy because Christ took the victory on the cross 2,000 years ago. When Jesus Christ hung on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. Uh, that was him signifying to the people there, to his father in heaven, uh, to the gates of hell, and to every generation for the last 2,000 years that everything that needed to be done and needed to be accomplished when it came to the eternal things in this life was done right then and there on the cross by the work of Jesus Christ. And the enemy knows that he cannot defeat you and he cannot overpower you, that he cannot do anything in your life. But what he can do is he can distract you away from living the life that Christ died to give you. He cannot defeat you, he cannot overpower you, but he can get in your head and he can distract you and he can try to get your attention and he can holler at you and scream at you and put up roadblocks and he can do everything in his power to distract you away from living the life that God has called us to live. And I think that this is one of the most paramount truths that we have to accept as followers of Christ, especially in our current culture, especially uh, in the direction things are going. I, I, I need us to understand that, that the problem with a message like this, and I say this a lot, but I want to make sure that we don't miss this. The problem with this is that if you've been following Jesus for more than six seconds, and you've been coming to church, or not even, even just drive by a church every now and then, you've heard the idea of the enemy distracting us is a thing. But the problem is, is that a lot of times he's so good at it that we live our lives completely distracted, never aware that we are being distracted by the distractions. Meaning that we, we don't understand the way that he really works. His distraction isn't him standing up on the side of the road, you know, in a red thing with little horns and a pitchfork holding the sign, I'm distracting you. That's not how the enemy works. I know that this may hurt our feelings, uh, but, but this is the thing. We are very easy to distract because we have, our minds just technology's about destroyed us. I mean, it, like, how many times just during the course of this message are you going to lean down and touch your phone because you thought that it vibrated, <laughs> even though it didn't? We have we have mental issues. <laughs> I, I do this all the time. We sit in a minute. I'm like, oh, someone's calling me. <laughs> so all my life, I feel it. Pull it out. Nothing. Nothing. So if you want to play a horrible, horrible, depressing game, I, I did this before Christmas. People weren't happy with it. You need to get out your phone and you need to look at your app, especially if you have an iPhone. You can look at it and you see all the time you spent this week on the phone. I won't, I won't call out her name. But there's a friend of mine who did this after the message. And it was, if I'm not exaggerating, it was like 12 to 14 hours on her phone. And I'm like, man, that's like a whole day. We're distracted. And the problem with knowing that the enemy distracts us is only half the battle. We have to know the way at which he distracts us. And the Lord has shown me five things that I want to talk about all out of the life of David. I'm probably only going to get to one or two today. The rest of them will be uh, in the uh, podcast or in that, the thing that we put out this week on the YouTube channel. So you need to get there, get that. But I, I want to read this in 1 Samuel uh, 
chapter 17, starting with verse 14. And, and I want to read this because before I read, I want you to understand something about David. If you don't know who David is, David uh, was a shepherd boy, a young, uh, the youngest of eight brothers. He did not have any respect from his brothers and his father. There's almost a sense of rejection in this. Um, the reason that we kind of come to this is when Samuel, uh, who just in our, in our world think Billy Graham, uh, well, you know, Billy Graham said, I'm coming to town and I want to talk to your family. Uh, I've got something important to tell you. Uh, imagine it's somebody that, that's who Samuel was in the, the prophet Samuel. So he says, I'm coming to town and I, I have something for you, Jesse, and for one of your sons. And so Jesse brings all of the sons except for David. And he leaves David out in the field. And so there's just this epic sense of, of rejection. Of he, nobody respected him. Nobody believed in him. Uh, and eventually Samuel uh, says, hey, do you have any more sons? None of these are, are you know, the king. None of these are the direction uh, that God wants to go. And then they bring David up and he anoints him. Uh, and and, and no, there's some debate on this, but it, it seems that nobody knew, everybody knew something epic just happened. But nobody really know the, knew the fullness of what happened. Nobody knew except Samuel and except David that he was anointed king as a child to be the next king of Israel. And, and this is important to understand, especially where we pick up, because uh, the way that David handles himself from this time all the way uh, through the end of his life, especially the first half of his life, what we see is we see a, a person so focused on God and so focused on the things that were truly important and essential and eternal. And he won the battle of distraction over and over and over and over and over again. And I want to look at a couple of those things. Uh, and I just want to read this to you really fast, starting with verse 14. It says, David was the youngest. There were uh, three oldest followed Saul, uh, but David went back and forth from Saul, who was the current king, to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine camp uh, came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse, this is David's father, Jesse said to his son David, take the ephah of roasted grain, these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers, and hurry to the camp. Take along these 10 cheeses. 10 cheeses. I just, for a quick second... 10 cheeses, 10 different kinds of cheese, or 10 of the same different, 10 cheeses. This is, this is always called out to me. I've always thought this was odd to me, that of all the things you would send, you'd send 10 cheeses. It, it also, because 10 cheeses, that's a funny thing to say to me, 10 cheeses, 10 cheeses. All right, I, I wanna, I'm gonna count to three. I'm gonna get us, I wanna also say 10 cheeses with a straight face, okay? If you would say it with a straight face, the person next to you will give you $10. You ready? One, Two, three. Ten cheeses. Ten cheeses. Not Cheez-Its. Cheeses. <laughs> and bread for your brothers and hurry to the camp. Uh, take this to the commander of the unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. Okay. So I want to, I'm going to go back to the 10 cheeses. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. If, if I am the rejected brother, and I'm the one when, when, when Billy Graham came, Samuel came, and there was, you know, there's a big deal there's coming, and, and my father invites everybody else but me, and then at the end of the day, I get called up and get anointed king, and then a short time after that, you have me be the cheese boy, I'm probably not going to have the humility to handle that very well. Can I just be honest with you? 
this is something beautiful. Now, this is a different message for a different day. John brought up something in the first message. Well, I preached a message a while back about the preparation. That, that, that David, uh, in a minute, he has this opportunity to fight Goliath, but the only reason that he fought, he had the, the knowledge and the ability to fight Goliath was because he stayed in the field with the sheep and he learned how to kill lions and bears. There's a preparation thing here. There's a, a humility in this, that, that he stayed, even though he was anointed as king, that he stayed in the field. And it was in the field that God trained him up and prepared him, and then he had the ability to move on. And, 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 but what I, I want you to understand here, I want you to understand here, there's a power of humility in this, and there's a power of preparation in this, but I don't want you to miss this, this continual battle of distraction uh, that the enemy presents to David. Because this is David, who has been anointed king, and now he's got his brothers, they're going off to war, he doesn't get to go. He's got to go back out to the sheep. And I think we have this holy view of being a shepherd. Back in the day, this was like the worst job imaginable. I, I, have you ever driven by a farm? Do you know that beautiful smell that goes with it? Okay, this is not, this is not the glamour, like the pictures in the old traditional churches with Jesus. And he's like this, and he's holding the shepherd, and he's holding the little baby sheep. And it's this that is not the case. They're smelly. It's horrible. There's wolves and bears and lions trying to eat your sheep every single day. Your only job is to get between them and the, and the predators. You have no respect. You get paid no money. This is, this is the bottom of the barrel of jobs. And he's been anointed king. And his father is like, hey, I need you to go from your horrible job and I need you to be my cheese boy. And I need you to go out to the battle and I need you to get some, uh, get, feed your brothers, tell me what's going on and I need you to come back. To me, and I'm just, and I'm, I'm trying to set this up because I, I want to, I want to be able to speak very clearly. To me, you might not think about it, but this is David winning one of the most significant battles of distraction that so many of us lose most of the time in our life. Because most of the time in our life, we do not value what we have right in front of us because we are constantly focused on what we think we are entitled to or we think we deserve in the future. We stay so focused on what might be or what should be or what we feel like we deserve and we keep our eyes so in that direction that we miss out on the beauty and the power of the season we're in right now and the things that God has given us right now. Preparation is a, is a huge blessing that I just talked about a minute ago. But th this was David, he, he was trusting God with his future instead of focusing on his future. And those are two very different things. He, he, he lived with the understanding that if I, if I was ready for it, then God would give it to me. And so he was focused on working what he had in front of him right here and right now. And I just wanna take a second and I wanna leapfrog into some practical things in life and I just wanna pick on the ladies just for a minute. Can I do that? Yeah, thank you. I just needed one person. Now we, we're unified. We're one or two gathered together in the name of Jesus. He is there also, okay? <laughs> Jesus is in this. This is one thing I say. I see this in guys, but I see it more in girls. So just if, if you think I'm being sexist, just email me. I promise I won't read it. So this is, this is the thing I see. Girls all the time, when, when they're single, right? And, and, and they, they just, all they can focus on the fact that they're single, and the fact that they're alone. And they, they, could be, they could be 18 or they could be 80, and they are convinced because I'm alone right now at the age of 18, I will die alone. Anybody know anybody like that? 
And, and they, but this is the thing I want you to understand about what the Bible teaches about singleness. The Bible teaches that there is absolutely an, an epic blessing to the season of singleness. And even Paul teaches that it's hard for us to understand it, but Paul says it, will, it, it is an epically blessed life to go through it single if you can. Now, I can't. I just want to be honest with you because what Paul says, literally, he says, <laughs> I'm just, you got to read the Bible. It's funny to me sometimes. He said, it's better to remain single unless your loins burn with lust than you probably ought to get married. <laughs> I saw that when I was around 18. I was like, marriage it is. <laughs> that was easy. Thanks, Paul. But the Bible says that there is, there is a blessing in singleness. It, it is this moment in singleness when God can really show you who you are. When, so your identity doesn't get wrapped around some bro and vice versa. It's, it's not just girls. And, and, and so the, the, there's this thing where God can uh, prepare you and, and show you how much he truly loves you and show, show you how much you don't actually need the attention and the adoration of somebody else. That there's an epic power, there's a, there's a moment to this, but you're so distracted by looking to the future and thinking, I, mean, I need somebody, I deserve somebody, I want somebody, I'm entitled to somebody, I want this, this is what it is, I need, I need, I need, I need. Then you get a boyfriend that somehow you've, de, you've, you've hidden all of these internal psychotic thoughts. And then he shows up and now he's there. And instead of enjoying the power of those first few days and weeks of a, of a new relationship, you're already, you know, you're not even on date three and you're talking about commitment. And, 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 and we, I mean, is this going somewhere? I'm like, I don't even learned your last name yet. I have no idea. And yet you're, you're focusing on what you don't have. This is the thing in my generation, we all do this. Y'all's generation, the oldest generation, the youngest generation, my generation. But my generation is the worst at this. Is that we, no matter what we have, we are constantly focused on, on what, what we need or what we don't have. And so no matter what we do, the enemy continually distracts us by the things that we think we deserve, by the things we think we're entitled to. And so while, while, while God's trying to bless us with getting to know, you know this relationship, going through the first, because the first few dates and, and that first season, that's so, because you can't, nobody can mess that up. It's the amazing part. It's the part where you still believe like, you know, fairy tales are real and true. And you still think that like marriage is gonna be this amazing epic thing. And you're such an idiot. And like, and you're still in this season. And like, but, but you're missing it because you're constantly focused. And then, you know, you have this commitment, this awkward forced commitment conversation. And, and then you get another, and the second you have that, it's like, okay, it's time for the engagement. Where's my ring and the Beyonce song, whatever it is. And like, you're going through this whole thing. And, and no matter what you have, you're constantly fixated on what you don't have. This is one of the greatest attacks of distraction from the enemy because you, you miss out on this season. You miss out on the season of singleness. You miss out on the season uh, of starting to date. You miss, out on the, the, you, you miss out on getting to know each other and trust each other. You miss out on it. And then you get married and you wake up and you're just like, man, that, that, was, that wasn't what I thought it was gonna be. Th this is the thing. And I, gotta, I don't wanna turn into a relationship series, but I, I want you to understand that this, the way this plays out in so many of our lives, this is the way it plays out in, in so many areas of our life. We do this with jobs. I can't tell you how many of my generation snubbed their nose at jobs and opportunities that God gave them because they didn't lift the, uh, the, the unrealistic expectations that they had. A guy was like, he was, can you really pray for me? I'm trying to get a job. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh you haven't even had a job offer? And he was like, no, I've had a bunch of job offers, but only, it's only like 50 grand. What are you, 19? What are you, what, 
We, we, my generation, we have this thing of like, well, we think we deserve and, and, and are entitled to the thing our parents worked their whole life for that we just need to get it coming out of college. That ain't, that ain't real. That's not realistic. And so we, we get this thing where we're fixated. We have this expectation, this thing we think we're entitled to, this thing we think we deserve. And so we stay distracted trying to get this thing. The whole time, God is trying to give you absolutely crazy, powerful opportunities that you're turning down day in and day out because they don't fit the entitlement vision of your future. And that is the enemy winning the battle of distraction in your life. I, I could spend all day there. I'm a millennial, so I can say anything I want about millennials. This is in every single area of our life. We don't, we don't take for, uh, we, don't, we don't see the value in the position that we have. We're always looking at the promotion. We, we don't see the value in the season that we're in. We're always looking at the future. We don't ever, ever, ever learn to value $1,000 because we're always looking for the $50,000. And, and I, 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 I could spend 20 minutes going in every area of our life, and I hope you get the point. But this is the thing that I want you to understand. David knew something that you and I tend to forget. And David knew something that the enemy knows that you and I tend to forget or don't know. And that is this one simple truth. And if you could just buy into this, if you could trust this, if you could believe this, so much of your life would be easier. God will give you exactly what he wants you to have exactly when he wants you to have it. If you do not have it, it's because you are not supposed to have it. If you do not have a loving boyfriend or a loving girlfriend, it's because you are not ready for a relationship. One of the biggest reasons why God is preventing you from getting married is because you are at a place in your life where you will destroy that marriage. He's not giving you that job with the bigger paycheck because you haven't figured out how to handle $10 yet. If God wanted you to have it, you would have it. The enemy wants you to forget this and he wants to distract you because as long as you're looking into the future and as long as you're looking into the things you think you deserve and as long as you're always looking into the next steps, you will never value the beauty and the power and the opportunity that is right in front of you. This is the way. Remember, he cannot defeat you, but he can distract you away from living the life Christ died to give you. The second one, he goes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep reading. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting with a war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their battle lines, facing each other. David left his things and the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle lines, greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from the lines and shouted his usual defiance, uh, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear." Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from the taxes in Israel. And David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So I want you to understand, David shows up. Now he's being faithful, 
to his father. He's being humble in his situation. He's not focusing on the future. He's trusting God with it. He's being the cheese boy. He's going out here and then God opens up an opportunity and he starts to feel this. He starts to realize this. This is God opening up an opportunity. He's opening up a door. He's presenting a battle worth fighting with Goliath. And so he starts focusing on that. He starts realizing this is God's will. This is the direction. This is what's important. This is why I'm here. This is why I really came. There's something in this. God is moving. I can feel it. I'm focusing on it. I'm asking questions. And he's saying, what's going to be done? And then they say, listen, you don't ever have to pay taxes again. You got me right there. Now, you don't have to pay taxes again. I'll kill the giant. Then you get to marry the daughter of King Saul. The only thing I'm talking about marrying the king's daughter, this was actually a funny trick the kings used to do in this day and age, is they might have seven daughters. Some of them might be really beautiful. And then there were some other ones. And they would tell you that you can marry my daughter and they might present a few of the different, you know, beautiful ones. And then day of the marriage, they, they, there's, a, there's a thing or you don't get to see who it is. And then you go into a darkness and you, you know, and then you don't realize until after it is. So there was actually, a this was like walking into like a marriage casino sometimes. <laughs> this is no lie. I always thought this was so comical to me. So like there's all these other things and, and David's saying, I feel, like this is, I feel like this is a God thing. And I'm focused on this. And as he's focusing on this, as he's turning his attention to this, as he's, as he's focusing on the battle at hand that God's calling him into, then his older brother shows up and he says, when Eliab, that's his older brother, David's oldest brother heard him speaking with the man. He burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle, you little punk. Now I added that last part. But this is Eliab. You have to understand, Eliab, is a, he's a, he's a uh, Samuel, when Samuel was anointed, he saw Eliab and he thought, surely this is the king. He's tall, he's strong, he's big. He's got flowing locks of hair. He's just, you know, Brad Pitt in the movie Troy. Such a good movie. And like, it's just, it's just everything about it. And he, and Eliab believes this about himself. And so when his little snot-nosed brat brother winds up getting the, the thing, it creates a deep sense of burning jealousy and rage against David. And so now David's here and he's focusing on Goliath. He has this opportunity of a lifetime God is presenting to him. And then Eliab goes and gets in his face. And let me tell you what, what when I was David's age, what I would have done is I would have turned around and I would have gone to war with Eliab. I don't know who you're talking to. I was like, you got passed over. I didn't. I was out with the sheep. He saw you. He didn't like you. He picked me. What's up? Let's go. I'd start defending myself. I'd start fighting back. I'd start proving him right because I'm the righteous one. I'm the king. I'm anointed. But this is, this is what he says. All David said was, now what have I done? Can I even speak? And he turned away to someone else and brought up the same manner and continued to focus on the right battle. So I'm gonna tell you something. And this is, this is a point where it got heavy for me in the last service, and so I, I think that the Lord wants to speak to us. We spend most of our lives missing the battles that God is calling us to 
because we are busy fighting the battles the enemy is calling us to. That we, we have, there are things in life, there are hills worth dying on in this life. There are battles worth fighting. And God has promised victory in the battles that he's called us to. You know, this was something yesterday morning when I was uh, kind of studying through this and, and preaching through this in my heart and in my mind, the Lord reminded me of, of the people of Israel in the desert. He calls them out of Egypt and he, and he calls them into this land of Canaan, which eventually just became called the promised land, the promised land. And God promised the victories so that I will hand it over. I'll tear down the walls. I'll, I'll destroy the giants. I will, I will deliver this promised land and I will give you victory. But this is the thing about God. God's promises are always according to his will and his ways, not yours. He promises victories in the battles he calls you to, but he does not promise to even involve himself in the battles that you should never be fighting. So much of our time, so much of our effort, so much of our energy is spent fighting battles that we had no business being involved in. Chasing things and going after things that we had no business being involved in. God's opening up the door to Goliath because it's gonna be this thing that God uses to propel David from this unknown shepherd boy into the future king of Israel. And if he had spent his time and his energy and his effort there fighting with Eliab, he would have missed out on his entire future. This is not a, this is not a small thing, this is a big thing. This is, this, is, this is the part of, I think, the power of what God wants to show us today. In, in our mindset, we think the enemy distracts us in these big, huge, the enemy distracts you with the people that are in your life right here and right now. He distracts you with the things going on in the parking lot. He's gonna use anything and everything to draw your attention away from Goliath because he knows once you step onto the battlefield, God will deliver you victory and he will open up the door and he will bless you and use you and just absolutely rock your world. And as long as he can keep you distracted with other battles and you never step onto the battlefield, he's got you. And, and I, the thing I think that we struggle with the most is when we go, okay, I, I hear you, man. That, that was deep, Jordan. When you said, man, when you said that, that we spend, we miss out victory in the battles that God calls us to because we spend our time fighting the battles that the enemy calls us to, I felt that and I wrote that down and that was good. Thank you. Problem. You don't know what the heck I'm talking about. That's just one of them things that sounds good. That sounds good. What does that mean? What does that mean? I want, I, want, I want to give you some things that it means. I think some things maybe in my life that might not mean it to you, but things that, that definitely in all of our lives. God does call us to fight for things. That, that he, gives us, he gives us responsibilities over things. So much of the time that we spend our time focusing, fighting the wrong battles, almost taking on the responsibility of God rather than, than a responsibility of us. And I'll just give you a small example, like for this week. Every single week, every single week, the thing that, that, that I do, that one of the, the purposes why I'm alive, one of the reasons, one of the callings on my life is to stand up here and to preach the word of God to you. And it's the honor of a lifetime to proclaim the truth of God to you, to teach this book to teach us wisdom and its knowledge. 
And I spend the vast majority of my time in the mornings for hours praying and studying and chewing it over and studying, reading it and writing it and letting God speak through it and just, just moving and preparing, developing, because I want to come up here and I want to be able to speak forth God's mind. I want to be able to teach the word of God in power and authority because I know that there's truth in this book and that it's life altering and life changing. And that's my responsibility. That, that's the battle that, that I have to fight every day and every week, every week, because every seven days come hell or high water. There's a message. There's an opportunity to proclaim the gospel and to teach the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And so I fight every single day of my life to make sure that I stay in this book, that I stay in prayer, that I stay in tune with God. That's the battle I fight. The battle that's not my responsibility, but the one that the enemy wants to distract me with constantly is maybe getting you guys in the building to hear the message or stop you guys from leaving. I'm sorry if your name's Kevin and I'm sorry if you just left the church. I have no idea. This is totally made up, so please don't email me. But it's like, you know, did you hear Kevin left the church? He said, you said something that you didn't like. I said, I say something people don't like every single week. But Diane's gone. Well, this is going on. Well, the offering was this. And this was happening, and this was going on, and this was happening, and the world's ending, and the world's over, and there's, there's 50,000 things that could take my time, take my energy, take my effort, take my focus. And a long time ago, there was two things the Lord put in my heart. He said, it is your job, your responsibility to stay in this book and to proclaim my word and whatever I put in your mouth. And God said, it's my responsibility to put people in the building, and it's my responsibility to change lives that I can't do that. I can't stay focused or, or, or trying to do something that I can't, I don't have the power to do to begin with. This is a battle in my life. There are things that God calls us to do that they're, they're, they're battles worth fighting. That's one of them for me. What is that for you? What is the thing that God's calling you to do in this life? What is it? There are things worth fighting for that we have. And I'm just gonna start going through a list really fast. One, your relationship with God is eternal and it is essential. And Christ gave up his life, not just for sin's sake. He gave up his life to knock sin out of the equation so that you could be in a relationship with the Father. This is the most vital, most essential thing in your life. Not anything else, because anything else worth fighting for, you won't ever be able who you need to be to do it without a relationship with God. You have to have a relationship with God. If you are a Christian, you have put your faith in Jesus, there is no greater battle, there is no greater essential, there is nothing worth chasing after than your relationship with God. Focus on, if, if you have a job, a career, a just, that is taking that away and that is ruined, that is, listen, I'm telling you, you get one life and then death comes and eternity starts and you, I promise you, it will matter more about your relationship with God than it will some job or promotion or career. For all of us in the room, the most essential, most important, most valuable thing to focus on in this life that the enemy is gonna work so hard to distract you is your relationship with God, and I don't care. He can distract you with the battle of sleep, with boredom, with jobs, with girls and guys, and all, I mean, he can distract you left and right. He is trying to get your attention off of God. Second, if you are married, your marriage, your family is of the utmost importance. It is a battle worth fighting for. The enemy will want to distract you 
and convince you that the house you live in is just as important as the marriage that's inside of it, and it absolutely is not. I cannot explain to you how many people I've said in front of me and they have thrown away their marriage in the name of providing financially materialistic for the marriage and the family. There is nothing more important in this life than the relationship that you stood before God and said, I will marry this person, come hell or high water, this is me, we are one, our spirits are together, we are one flesh united by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is something worth fighting for. But the enemy wants you to spend your time, energy, and effort fighting for anything else than that marriage. If you have kids, this is a battle worth fighting for. I'm telling you, kids, I'm, I'm, I'm living it. I'm in the middle of it, so it may, probably hits me differently. But kids, man, dude, the seasons of life move so fast. And once they're gone, they're gone. You'll never get them back. And the enemy, dude, I'm telling you, the enemy wants you to spend your kid's childhood doing anything else except being a father and a mother to those children. I can just tell you now, if listen, if you're older, your kids are gone and you've missed it and you have regret, there is no guilt in God. So don't let the enemy creep in right now and bring guilt into your life. You seek forgiveness, you move on and you get over it. But to the ones that are here and you're right in the middle of it, let me tell you something. The greatest regret you will ever have in your life is getting to the other side of raising kids and realizing you let the culture, the school and the church raise your kids and all you did was feed them. I promise you, I've, I've sat and listened to fathers and mothers cry their eyes out. I've heard the regrets from my own parents. And I'm telling you right here, and I'm telling you right now, there's nothing in this earth more valuable than the life that God has given you to raise and to disciple, to pour into. It's just not. And I'm telling you something. All of us, there are things in our life they're worth fighting for, they're worth dying for. Your relationship with God, your marriage if you're married, your kids if you have kids, your family if they're still around you. And then the one I think that unites all of us is no matter what stage of life we're in, I'm telling, listen to me, if God has put you, if you're still alive, if you woke up this morning and you breathed air, it's because God still wants to use you to change the world around you. And the enemy wants to distract you from ever, ever dealing with that reality. He wants to use you. He wants to pour into you. He wants you to fight the darkness. He wants you to, to change the culture around you. You have a calling. You have a purpose on your life. I promise you. But the enemy wants to do everything he can. Put every battle he can in front of you to prevent you from understanding you have a calling. He will give you the greatest of careers if it means you miss your calling. I promise you, the enemy wants to distract you from the things that matter most in this life. He cannot defeat you. He cannot destroy your marriage, I'm telling you. He cannot destroy your children. He cannot stop, he cannot destroy your calling. He cannot destroy your promise, but he can distract you. He can distract you from living the life that Christ died to give you. And so my challenge this morning, and there's more, and, it, and I wanna I'll do it, there's not enough time, it'll be on the thing this week, look it up. But right here and right now, I'm gonna challenge you. 
as we go into worship in just a few minutes, if you're in this room, if you're at home, if you're in a house church, I want you to just spend this moment of prayer and worship time evaluating your life and letting the Holy Spirit show you and confirm in you the things that are worth fighting for. And don't let the enemy distract you away from those things. We get one life and the seasons in this life, they just go. And every season of distraction is a win for the enemy. And I refuse to give him a single, a single more day of my life to distraction. Seek the Lord in this. Change this. Do whatever you got to do. Find those battles that are worth fighting for and spend the rest of your life fighting them. Can I get an amen? All right, let's pray.